Last week I was uh, taking the, the kids to school one morning, and as usually happens in our car, the person in the passenger seat, the child in the passenger seat, was controlling the radio. And this morning it was Emma, and she was scrolling through the stations at NASCAR-like speed. Uh, you know, fortunately my ears have lightning quick reflexes, and, and I detected a song that I wanted to hear. Uh, it, it was the song Tainted Love. Right, not, not the 2001 cover by Marilyn Manson, if you knew there was one. Uh, not the 1965 original by Gloria Jones, which might be the best one actually. But the 1981 version by... Anybody? Look at you. <laughs> you get to come to the front of the class. Yes, by, by Soft Cell. I, I had no idea. But, but when, that, when that song came on, I made Emma stop, and, and I said, go back, I want to listen to that song. And her reaction was this, when Daddy hears a song he likes, he makes us listen to it. <laughs> and I kind of looked at her funny, because I thought, well, isn't that what any good parent should do? Um, because otherwise you have no hope of controlling the radio with a, with a car full of kids. But, but, but here's the point. For whatever reason, that song connected with me. I wanted to listen to it. I wanted to, to sing that song. And we, we've all got songs like that. Songs that you want to roll down the windows and, and drive down the road and sing at the top of your lungs. Or uh, stand at the gas pump and sing, if you've seen the video going around this week. Uh, the songs that, that make us sing, that we enjoy. I want to ask you this morning, not what songs you like to sing, but what is it in life that really makes your heart sing? What life events make you sing? Um, you know, maybe it's time with your children. Maybe it's time without your children. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a promotion at work. Maybe it's a, a text from, from your significant other. What are the things that really make you sing? Or maybe uh, it, it's been a really long time since you felt like singing. Uh, you know, no, no matter what music you put on the radio, it just, it just doesn't do it for you. You can't make yourself sing. Uh, what have you lost that you think, I, I really can't live without that anymore? I can't sing if I don't have that in my life. What's changed for you? What are, what are you looking for? What are you waiting for in order to be able to sing again? Is it the next stage in life? You know, when the kids sleep through the night, when the kids are in school, when the kids are in college, when I have grandkids. So often it's always that next thing. When I get there, then I'll really be able to sing. Then I'll really be able to be happy. Uh, the thing about all these different things that we look to to, to make our hearts sing, um, they tend to be fleeting, don't they? You kind of have them for a minute, and then they're gone, and you're on to the next thing. Or that they're always just out of reach. Uh, we're always grasping after them, but we can never quite get hold of them. Well, what I want to do this morning is to try to point you to an inexhaustible source of joy, a, a well of gladness that will never run dry. And I want to do that from these texts, but let me give you a little context on the text uh, before I actually read them. We're going to read two texts. One of them is from Isaiah chapter 12. Now you need to understand the context of Isaiah chapter 12. In the first 10 chapters of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has been prophesying judgment against the people of Judah and Israel 
because they have turned their backs on God. And then when he gets to chapter 11, Isaiah begins to look into the future. He actually looks past this day of judgment that he's been prophesying, and he looks on to a day of restoration for God's people. He's looking forward to a day when the Messiah would come, when the true and faithful king would come and gather his people from the corners of the earth, and the knowledge of God would cover the earth as the water covers the sea. That's what he's looking forward to. After prophesying judgment, he begins to prophesy restoration as well. And then he gets to chapter 12, which is what we're about to look at. And he's going to start with, in that day. In that day. In what day? In that day when God has worked salvation for his people. In that day when the Messiah has come. In that day, Isaiah says, there'll be singing, there'll be gladness, there will be praise. So, in one way, what Isaiah is looking forward to is he's looking way into the future to that day uh, when, when God will gather His people completely and utterly uh, to the new heavens and to the new earth when sin and sadness and sickness, when that all will be done away with. When God's people can finally and completely rejoice. But it's also a picture of what happens every time Someone bows the knee to King Jesus. When Jesus breaks into your life and frees you from your sin and sorrow, when Jesus breaks into your life and becomes for you that inexhaustible well of joy and gladness, a well that that never runs dry. That's what Isaiah is going to be pointing us to. I'm also going to read from Jeremiah. And I I picked the text from Jeremiah, even though we're focusing on, on Isaiah, Because I just wanted you to see the language that Jeremiah uses to describe a very similar situation to the one Isaiah is speaking into. Look at the language that Jeremiah uses to voice God's complaint against his people. And just to note, he's going to talk about a cistern, and we don't use cisterns anymore, but just think of a giant pit that collects rainwater. Uh, And much as you can draw water from a well, you can draw water from a cistern. So... Uh, All of that, this is God's word. Jeremiah 2, verse 11, uh, and then we'll move on to Isaiah 12. Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And then Isaiah 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, proclaim that His name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst." is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we do pray for Your presence now. 
that you would fill me with your spirit, that I might speak your truth clearly and plainly and truthfully. Father, that you'd fill us with your spirit, that we might hear and be changed by your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, <clears throat> what, are we, what are we going to learn from, from these two texts about joy? Uh, notice verse 3 of, of Isaiah again. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Here's what, what I want us to see. Uh, if we're going to find true joy in our lives, we've got to, first of all, see our need for new wells. Uh, secondly, we've got to have a new well dug for us. And then thirdly, we've got to drink from that well. All right, we've got to see our need for new wells. Uh, verse 1 of Isaiah 12 tells us that God is no longer angry with His people. God was no longer angry with His people. Which means what? Well, it means that at one time, He was angry with them. Well, why was He angry with them? Well, as I mentioned before, if you looked back and read those first chapters of Isaiah, you'd see that the nation of Israel was a mess. Uh, a mess. The, the leaders were dishonest. Uh, bribery was a common occurrence. Uh, the orphans and widows were not protected uh, or cared for. The people practiced pagan fertility rites. Uh, they were very superstitious in their religious practices. And they trusted in their own military superiority. Uh, you would also hear the story of King Ahaz, who when faced with trouble, instead of turning to God, turned to the king of Assyria, this pagan nation, and called on them for help. So Ahaz, in a sense, had this choice to draw water from the wells of God's salvation or to look elsewhere for salvation, and he chose to look elsewhere. Jeremiah describes a very similar situation. Uh, this this looking away from God as the source of our salvation to other sources for salvation. It's, it's the essence, he says, of, of the sin that God's people have committed. Listen to just verse um, 13 again from Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Uh, notice what he says. You've committed two evils, two sins. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and you've tried to, to, to go dig a new well for yourself, is basically what he's trying, saying. You've tried to create an alternative source for you to draw water from. You've left God and you've gone somewhere else. You're looking for somewhere else, to somewhere else for life. So here then is the, the question for us to think about. Uh, where are we trying to draw water from? Where are we trying to, to find life? What are you chasing that you're convinced that when I get that, I'm, I'm going to be happy? You're saying, I've, I've got to have this. And then, and only then... Is life going to be okay? Is life going to be meaningful? Am I finally going to be happy? Well, when we do that, when we say something like, for example, like, when I get that promotion, then everything is going to be okay. Then I'll be happy. What we're really saying in that instance is, my career is my salvation. 
we say things like that. My career is my salvation. My family is my salvation. My children's achievements are my salvation. My possessions are my salvation. My beauty is my salvation. See, it's possible to give lip service to God as Savior, while in reality we're looking for salvation in very different places. We're looking for our happiness, for our meaning in life, in something or someone other than the God of creation. We're not chasing God. We're not chasing God saying, God, I want you. Because I know that you're the source of all blessing. Which he is. But we're not chasing after him. We say, control, I want you. Comfort, I want you. Sex, I want you. Power, I want you. Money, I want you. And Jeremiah says, not only is that unhealthy, which we tend to say, yeah, that's bad for you. Jeremiah says that's actually evil. Uh, the shorter catechism, which we use from time to time, it gives kind of a summary of, of Christian doctrine, uh, has an explanation of the first commandment. And the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the catechism says, well, what does that teach us? And, and it says what it teaches us is this, that God who sees all things takes notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. All right. It is an evil thing to forsake God and to seek our joy and our happiness and contentment in things that are not God. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't mean, and I want to be careful to clarify this, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to sing tainted love with the windows rolled down. Uh, or to enjoy dancing, or good food, or your marriage, or your, or, or, uh, or your children, or trips to the beach, or anything like that. Uh, you know, that's, that's the danger with sermons like this, right? You, you walk away thinking, okay, I've got to have a happy, quiet time, and I can't watch television and be happy about it anymore. I can only be happy about God. That's not what the point of this is. Um, that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. God does give us good gifts. And we are to enjoy those gifts. They're blessings from Him. Uh, and we ought to celebrate and celebrate robustly uh, as people who understand these gifts God has given us. But we should also remember that the gifts are meant to lead us back to the giver. In the way that rays of sunshine lead us back to the sun. That these gifts that we enjoy are to point us back to a greater source of joy. The earthly pleasures we enjoy are only small snippets of the greater joy that stands behind all of these smaller earthly joys. The joy, the one that we are made to worship. These are all meant to point us to Him. The problem is, is that we all by nature tend to value the gifts over the giver. Uh, we try to find lives in the gifts, gifts instead of in the giver. We worship the gifts instead of the giver. And the Bible says all this is actually evil, that it, that it angers God, and that it actually makes a shipwreck of our lives. When we try to hold on to anything in the creation, convinced that if we have this or if we hold this, that this is the thing that is ultimately going to bless us, then that distorts our lives and eventually wrecks our lives. It really is like drinking from a contaminated well. You don't necessarily see the effects the first time you do it, right? You may not see the effect for the first year you drink from the contaminated well. But over years and years and years, what kind of effect does that have? 
Uh, the first year of living selfishly within a marriage. Okay, that may not be that big a deal. Uh, we can all get over that. Five years of that. Mm, starting to cause a few, tro- few problems. 20 years of that. Right? And you're ready to kill each other at that point. Uh, one year of, of living for my job. Okay, that may not cause that many problems. But those one years have a way of adding up, don't they? Just one more year, one more year, one more year. And before, know it, before you know it, you've got 20 years. And your wife doesn't know you. And your children don't know you. Worry and fear in our lives have this way of, of building up over time when they're not dealt with. And what are we doing in all these? Well, we're, we're looking at a, a well of water. And we've decided that's the well that I've got to drink from. And we drink from it. That's the place I'm going to put my ultimate hope and trust. The the place where I'm going to look, even though I may not voice it in these words, it's the place I'm looking for salvation. It's not God. It's some created thing or created pleasure. And it slowly, it has this way of slowly eating away at our lives. And what if that's what the wrath of God was? What if it's not suddenly getting struck by a bolt of lightning out in the field somewhere? But what if it's Him just allowing us to continue to drink from those wells that we want to drink from anyway? Those wells that we prefer to Him. And Him allowing that water that you wanted to drink anyway to slowly eat away at your life. Some of us right now are probably being eaten away by, by the wells that we're drinking from. By worry, by pornography, by bitterness, by perfectionism. Uh, we're being eaten away by these things. We're drinking the water. We absolutely want to drink it. And we're convinced that it's going to bring happiness and good things into our lives. We're convinced that it will bring life to our souls. And it's killing us. We want, to, we want our hearts to sing, but they're not singing because we're trying to make them run on the wrong fuel. We're drinking from the wrong well. Uh, Psalm 16, one, Psalm 16 has become one of my favorite psalms. Uh, excuse me, verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you ever think of God like that? Do you ever think of Christianity like that? You and I are made to find infinite joy and pleasure and happiness in knowing God. In knowing the Creator of all things. The God of the Bible is not simply saying, well, you've got to come worship me because you're supposed to, because you have to, and it's going to be dull and boring and religious and, and everything you just think is terrible but you've got to do it anyway. The God of the Bible is saying, I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the joy that you've been seeking so badly in so many of the wrong places. And yet we turn away and we continue to drink from those contaminated wells. And you've got to see that. You've got to see that. That's the first step to, to, to knowing real joy is to realizing the water that you're trying to drink, the well that you're trying to drink out of is actually 
poisoning you and that you need a new well. Where do we get a new well? All right, where do we get a new well? Somebody's got to dig one for us. Uh, somebody's got to uh, drag me away from my addiction to my old, old wells and plunge my face into the, to the life-giving water of a new well because otherwise I'm not leaving. I'm, I can't leave it. The rescue that I need can't come from inside of me. The rescue that I need has got to come from outside of me. Salvation has got to come from outside of me. It's got to come from God. Look at verse 2 of of chapter 12. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. God is the one who has to dig a new well for me because I can't dig a new well for myself. Here's Here's what we all tend to do. Uh, the water from the well never satisfies us, even though we think it's going to. And so we keep going back, right? Like a gambler playing the slot machines. We keep going back. This this time, this time it's finally going to make me happy. This time I'm finally going to hit the jack, jackpot. Or we might finally kind of realize, uh, it really isn't working for me. But we just move on to another well. This time, this is going to satisfy me. We just move on to the next thing and we drink there. And what has to happen is that God has to drink, excuse me, God has to dig a new well for us. A new well whose living water actually accomplishes salvation. And He's done that at the cross. He's done that at the cross. Jesus Christ went to the cross for people who were oblivious to the fact that the water they were drinking was killing them. Jesus Christ went to the cross for people who knew that the water they were drinking was killing them, but they couldn't seem to do anything about it. They couldn't stop drinking it. And Jesus says this. Listen to Isaiah 55. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor for what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affairs. That's the new well that's been dug for you. That's the new well that's being offered to you. It's salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 3 of Isaiah 12, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah is picturing this day when we're no longer drinking from contaminated wells and broken cisterns, but we drink deeply from the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. When the gospel floods into our lives and restores our souls, when we drink deeply from God, because He is our well, a well of salvation, infinite, inexhaustible joy is offered to you in Christ. Will you drink from that well? Will you drink from that well? Do this exercise with me. Um, look at verse 2. All right, now, <clears throat> see the second word in verse 2 is God, all right? Uh, think of one of the wells you tend to drink from instead of God. All right, now, now take that word, and I want you to take God's name out of verse 2, and I want you to put that in there. Okay? All right, and and we'll, we'll try it with the, with the word success. Uh, Behold, success is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for success is my strength and my song, 
and success has become my salvation. That's what we're saying, isn't it? But that's not, we know that's not really true when we, when we look at our lives. It really goes like this. Behold, success is my salvation. I trust in myself to succeed. And because of that, I'm afraid. I only sing, I only sing when I am successful. I only sing when I'm successful. I only sing when I am strong. I only sing when I'm able to save myself and succeed. Now think about the verse this way. Put Jesus Christ and His cross into the verse. Behold, Jesus Christ has worked salvation for me at the cross. God is my salvation. I will trust in Him and not myself. He holds me up so I'm not afraid. My strength comes from Him. My song comes from Him. I can sing when I'm weak because He is my strength. I can sing when I fail because He is my success. The message of the Bible through and through is to quit trying to save yourself. Realize that you're broken and drink water from the well of salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ. Some of you probably saw in the NCAA tournament this year, uh, Kevin Ware, one of the Louisville players, suffered probably one of the most gruesome injuries uh, you're likely to ever see on the basketball court. Um, he was going up to, to block a, a shot, trying to block a three-pointer, and he came down on his leg funny, and his leg just it bent in a way it's not supposed to bend. And there was bone sticking out of his leg to the extent that CBS showed the replay maybe once or twice, and they're like, okay, we're done. And you can imagine, it takes a lot to get them not to show something like that over and over again. And when that happened, everybody just instinctively turned away, right? I mean, they were, the players on the court were falling on the court. The guy who had taken the shot just ran down the court and looked the other way. People were throwing up. People were turning away. Nobody was moving toward him because it was just so horrifying to look at. Nobody was moving toward him except for one person, one of his teammates, a guy named Luke Hancock. Uh, and, and this is what one writer said about Luke Hancock. After turning his head with everyone else at the sight of the snapped bone, Luke Hancock was the one who came to Ware's side and gripped his hand. He said a prayer, guided him through the initial trauma, and stayed with him on the floor while the medical staff worked. It was because of Hancock, at least in part, that Ware overcame his initial horror and encouraged his teammates to keep playing to win the game. Uh, Hancock says he... He was asking Nerver, why didn't you do this? He said, I don't really know. I just, I just didn't want him to be by himself right then. Uh, another writer said, Hancock, by some miracle, was moved to go toward the grisly injury rather than away from it. Though Luke Hancock is in no way Jesus Christ, this direction of movement is indeed Christ-like. Here's St. Paul theologizing Luke Hancock. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5. And this is what he writes. When the uninjured, when the righteous, goes toward the injured, the unrighteous, miracles happen. When Christ comes toward us, even as we lie there broken in sin, that miracle is our salvation. If you want to have joy in your heart, if you really want to be able to sing, you've got to realize that the wells you've been drinking from, the places you've been trying to salvation are actually killing you. You've got to realize that you're the one lying broken on the side of the court. And yet in spite of that, in spite of the fact that you've preferred God's gifts to God Himself, God has moved towards you in your brokenness in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to dig a new well for you, in order to dig a well of salvation, a well of living water, a well of healing and of joy. Look at verse 3. With joy, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Is the Gospel of Jesus Christ having that kind of effect in your life? Is it bringing you freedom from anxiety? Freedom from fear? Is it making you joyful? Is it causing you to sing? Do you want what God has done to be made known in all the earth? If it's not, then then ask yourself this, what well am I really drinking from? Where am I really going for salvation? Uh, Imagine you've got two wells in your yard. One of them's contaminated and one of them is not. And every day you go out and you drink water from that contaminated well. It's going to show up in your life eventually. It's going to show up in your life eventually. If you and I aren't drinking deeply from the wells of our salvation, it's going to show up in our lives eventually. It's going to show in worry and fear and anxiety and depression. It shows up in the fact that there's no song in our heart. What do you do about it? What do you do about it if, if that's you? Um, just a couple things real quickly. One is think about your life, examine your life, and, and really um, don't be too introspective, but maybe introspective for a moment and say, what, what well am I really trying to draw life from? Where am I really looking for my ultimate joy? And then secondly, remind yourself of the fruit that those contaminated wells bear in your life. Here's what happens when I go and drink from those wells, and they are not good things. This is, these things are lying to me. It's not going to help me. It's not going to give me life. And thirdly, simply draw near to God. Draw near to God. Make use of these means that God has given you to draw near to Him. Uh, scripture, just, just reading your Bible, uh, praying, coming to worship, uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper, uh, these are like buckets, all right? Th- these, these 
prayer, Bible reading, Lord's Supper, they're like buckets that God's given you to dip down and draw water out of the well of salvation. And we need to use those so that we can commune with Him and find life in Him. And then lastly, as you draw near to Him, feast on the good news of the Gospel. Feast on the salvation that God has worked for you in Jesus Christ. Listen to God singing over you. For a moment, just stop. Don't try to sing to Him, but listen to God singing over you. Because it's only as you hear God singing over you, delighting in you, it's only as you hear the joy that He now finds in you that your heart will ever begin to sing with joy itself. You have to experience His love, His joy in you first before your heart can ever sing. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, um, in some ways this is a, it's a simple thing, um, but it's infinitely hard. And so we pray for grace. We pray that you would, um, we pray you'd open our eyes. Maybe we don't even see the wells we're drinking from. We don't even see the places we're trying to find life, and yet we know it's showing up in our lives. We know that the worry and the anxiety and the anger that are there we know those are not free of the Spirit. Uh, and so, Father, reveal those things to us and help us to run from them to Jesus Christ uh, and to rest in Him indeed as our Savior. Help us to quit trying to save ourselves. Uh, help us to be simply those broken people who are being saved by You. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.